ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Really the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallama is his slave servant and his messenger. We would like to continue this evening bi-idhnillahi ta'ala in our series of lectures concerning al-aqeedah al-islamiyyah and this is the second in this series which is insha'Allah going to be a brief summarized explanation or discussion of Al-Aqeedah Al-Tahawiyah the book entitled Al-Aqeedah Al-Tahawiyah by Al-Imam Abu Ja'afa Al-Tahawi In our first lecture of this series as an introduction to this book we mentioned a few points uh, that are of great importance in order for us to know the value of this study and to appreciate it fully. We defined in that first lecture the meaning of Al-Aqeedah as well as the meaning or definition of Al-Sunnah and Al-Jama'ah. We talked about the legal as well as the linguistic definition of Al-Aqeedah and we said that Al-Aqeedah it is from the word Al-Aqd which means to tie, to bind or to fasten something tightly Uh, and we said that in the technical definition or the technical definition of Al-Aqeedah is the firm uh, faith or conviction which doesn't allow any doubt to come to that person who holds this conviction. And we also said that aqidah, in the technical uh, meaning of it, it may refer to that creed or faith or belief or conviction that is true as well as that conviction which is false. And Al-Aqeedah Al-Islamiyyah, we said uh, that it includes the firm belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well as the belief in His angels, the books which were revealed to the Prophets, belief in the Prophets themselves, the last day, and Al-Qadr, the divine decree, the good and the evil of it. We also mentioned that Al-Aqeedah as a science 
or a knowledge or system of studying the Islamic beliefs. It includes so many topics including Tawheed, the study of the uniqueness or the affirmation of the uniqueness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every way. Uh, Al-Iman, faith, Al-Islam, submission, the unseen things, prophethood and things related to it, the information or news about the past nations and the future, and so many other things. We also mention that this science or this knowledge, Al-Aqidah, it has many other names that the Muslim scholars use to refer to it, the people of uh, the Sunnah, the Ahl Sunnah al-Jama'ah, Besides Al-Aqidah, they called it Al-Tawheed, they called it Al-Sunnah, they called it Usul al-Din, they called it Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar, as Al-Imam Abu Hanifa entitled his very brief summary of the Islamic creed, Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar, they called it Al-Sharia, they called it Al-Iman, and so on. Then we said that the people who deviated from the correct way, those who are not from Ahl Sunnah al-Jama'ah, they also referred to Aqidah by many names, and from amongst those names, the most popular of them is Ilm al-Kalam, and al-Falsafa, philosophy. Then uh, we mentioned uh, that al-Aqidah al-Islamiyah, if this word is used in its general sense, then it should be used to refer to the Aqidah of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Because the Aqidah of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, this is really the true Islam that Allah is pleased with and that He has chosen for His servants. Then uh, we also discussed the linguistic as well as the technical definition of a Sunnah, and we said that its linguistic meaning is a Tariqah and asira, the way or the manner that someone uh, lives according to it. And we said that the, ling- that the technical meaning of as-sunnah, it means that guidance which the Prophet ﷺ and his companions were upon, including the knowledge, the beliefs, the speech and the actions. All of this is included in what is referred to by a sunnah the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa every aspect of his guidance. Uh, and then we also mentioned that sunnah has other meanings which we are not uh, referring to at this time, the opposite of fard or obligatory, the opposite of that which is obligatory, the opposite of bid'ah or innovation and so on. Then we mentioned al-jama'ah, the linguistic definition, it means when a group of people come together in agreement on a certain matter, and the technical definition of al-jama'ah, it refers to the early predecessors, the early generations of this ummah. That means first and foremost the companions, radiallahu anhum ajma'een, and then their students and their students' students, the tabi'een and the atba'a tabi'een. Because those are the first people who came together in agreement on this way, that is, upon the Sunnah, as it was revealed in the two sources of revelation, the Book of Allah, Al-Quran, and the way of the Prophet ﷺ, his speech, his actions, beliefs, and so on, and whoever followed that way. 
when we said uh, that the definition of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah according to these two words when they are combined together it means those who hold fast to the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam his actions, his speech, his beliefs and so on uh, they stick to it closely and whoever followed that way from amongst the Sahaba those who, and those who came after them up until our time whatever time period they may have lived in or whatever place in the earth where they may have been found uh, we also said that the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah are referred to by other names sometimes uh, they are referred to as Al Jama'ah meaning those people who came together on the truth they are referred to Ahl Sunnah alone by this name alone Ahlu as Sunnah meaning those who followed the way of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam they are also referred to as Al Firqa and Najiyah the saved sect that sect which is mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when he said that his Ummah would be divided into 73 sects and all of them would be in the fire except one one sect that one which would be saved from the fire the saved sect is called Al Firqa and Najiyah and also uh, the Ahlul Hadith they are referred to because they uh, are those who gave great, the greatest attention to studying and following the Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they are also referred to as Al-Ta'ifa Al-Mansura as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam made us to know that there would be a Ta'ifa or a group from amongst his Ummah that would be helped and supported and given victory by Allah up until the day of resurrection up until the day of judgment as long as people are on this earth there would be some group from amongst this ummah that would be supported and given the victory by Allah to hold fast to this deen correctly and that's called the group who would be supported or aided or given the victory Al-Ta'ifa Al-Mansur these are some of the names and we mentioned some others but this is just a brief summary of what we covered in the last in the first lecture, the introduction to this topic and in that uh, introduction we also mentioned some of the characteristics of this aqidah the aqidah islamiyah uh, which distinguishes it from the other uh, beliefs or creeds or aqidah of the other people uh, and we said that from amongst those characteristics is that this aqidah is derived exclusively from the main sources of Islam, the Book of Allah, Al-Quran, and the Sunnah of the Prophet and it is far removed from any other sources. Also, that this aqidah uh, it keeps the Muslim free from doubt in that he knows that its source is directly from the Quran and Sunnah and so he rests at peace with this belief that is derived directly from the main sources of revelation that this aqidah also creates or develops in the Muslim a great respect for the sources the Quran and Sunnah and they look up to it and accept whatever comes to them from these sources without question and also we said amongst other things that this aqidah ties the person who believes in it to those who came before us from amongst the early generations that is the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and those who follow them on their way as well as it ties the Muslims together in unity because it is only the Quran and Sunnah that enables the Muslims to hold fast and to unite with one another regardless of their differences in time or location or language or otherwise
This evening, insha'Allah, we would like to begin our reading of the text of Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah. And it will be, insha'Allah, our procedure in these lectures that we will rely primarily uh, in our brief discussion or explanation of the text of this book, we will rely uh, primarily on a book entitled The Sharh, Sharh Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah Al-Muyassar, a simple explanation of Aqidah, of the Aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah by Dr. Muhammad Ibn Abdurrahman Al-Khumayyis. Also, secondly, we will refer from time to time to some comments uh, from a book entitled Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah Sharh wa Ta'aliq and this Sharh or, or this uh, explanation and uh, comment is uh, are given by Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin Al-Albani uh, concerning some of the points that are mentioned in this book. It's not a complete explanation point by point but he made some comments on some points. And thirdly, we will also make mention of those points or comments uh, that are mentioned in a small book, The Metin of Al-Aqidah Al-Sahawiyyah, with commentary by Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Abdullah ibn Baz. Uh, and his comments are very, very brief. Whenever he made a comment, inshallah, we will refer to it. And if necessary, where there are some very, very uh, important points which need further clarification, then we will go back to the explanation of Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah that is well known in the Muslim world today, and it is the textbook that is used by all of the colleges in the Islamic University and in Medina, the Shar of Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah by Ibn Abdul Aziz who was a great scholar of the Hanafi Madhab, uh, who lived in the 8th century of the Hijra. But that book and its commentary is very extensive, and so we will only refer to it if necessary on those points that may need further clarification. Otherwise, inshallah, we will uh, try to take the brief explanations uh, of Sharh Al-Aqidah Sahawiyah and Muyassar, and refer to the comments of Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani, Hafizahullah, and Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Baz, Hafizahullah, in their brief comments that they made on this book. Before, before proceeding uh, to mention a brief biography of the author of this book, uh, Al-Imam al-Sahawi, I would just like to uh, make some notes of advice. And these points of advice are first for myself and then for uh, my brother's and sisters who have concern for sitting in these lectures and uh, trying to benefit from this most important text of the Islamic Aqidah. First, I request and urge you to read the text of the book. It is a very small book, uh, only the translation is only uh, consisting of 30 pages or so. Uh, and it can be read in one sitting. I urge everyone to read the text of the book repeatedly. 
so that the topics which are mentioned will become familiar and it will be easy to follow and to understand and to benefit from the brief explanations insha'Allah that we will give. Uh, this book is a summary of the Islamic Aqidah. It is just a summary. That means each point is mentioned in just a few words. And therefore it's important that it should be read over and over so that uh, it will be easier to understand and to follow. Also I would request those particularly of the sisters who intend to take, uh, insha'Allah, the examination at the end of this course, that you should take some notes of the important points that are mentioned uh, as we go along, little by little, and don't wait until the end of the course. And ask questions about the topic that we discuss from week to week, if anything is not clear. Also, uh, I encourage everyone to cross-reference the points that we are discussing from lecture to lecture through other books of Aqidah that are available to us and Alhamdulillah there are a number of books that have now been made available uh, which are inshallah good translations of some of the books of Aqidah of the early scholars of Islam we should refer back to those books and cross reference the points that are mentioned uh, in our lectures with what is mentioned in other books and finally, my last advice is that please try to be punctual and regular in your attendance so that you can get the full benefit. The biography of Al-Imam Al-Sahawi, in brief, the author of this book, he is Abu Ja'afa Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Salama, or Salama ibn Salama, ibn Abdul Malik Al-Azdi Al-Tahawi. And this name Al-Tahawi is in reference or it is derived from a village in Sa'id in Egypt, Taha. And he is Al-Imam Al-Muhaddith Al-Faqih Al-Hafiz. He is a great Imam of the Muslim Ummah. He is a scholar of fiqh and hadith and one of those great scholars who uh, compiled and memorized يعني, innumerable reports of the Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He was born, rahimahullah, in the year 239 of the Hijri calendar. Yani in the third century, in the first half of the third century of the Hijri calendar. 239 years after the migration of the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca to Medina. When he reached the age of understanding, he transferred to Egypt to seek knowledge and he began to study with his maternal uncle his mother's brother Ismail ibn Yahya al-Muzani who was one of the most knowledgeable of the scholars of the Hanafi madhab in fiqh in that, of that time in Egypt uh, I mean of the Shafi'i madhab uh, originally, Imam al-Tahawi was studying the Shafi'i Madhab before he became a student of the Hanafi Madhab. Uh, he noticed that whenever his uncle found difficulty in some issues, he often used to rely on the books of the students of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, 
and many times he chose the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa over the opinions of his own madhab, the Shafi'i madhab. So, it happened that an Imam al-Tahawi himself began to study the books of Imam Abu Hanifa and his students, those books of Aqidah as well as the books of Fiqh, according to the manhaj of Imam Abu Hanifa, until he became يعني, a scholar of that madhab and began to follow that madhab and became one of the students of the madhab of Abu Hanifa. Nonetheless, this didn't prevent him from sometimes differing with some of the opinions of Imam Abu Hanifa. And he used to sometimes consider as a superior opinion the opinion of one of the other Imams other than Abu Hanifa. And this was because of the fact that he was not a blind follower. He was not a blind follower. Although he was a student of Imam Abu Hanifa and he's studying from his close students, but yet he didn't consider that he must follow every opinion, no matter whether he saw it to be uh, the most correct opinion or otherwise. And this is mentioned by Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, in his book Lisan al-Mizan. He says that Ibn Zulaq said, I heard Abu Hassan Ali, the son of Abu Ja'afa al-Tahawi, the son of Imam al-Tahawi, he said, I heard his son saying that I heard my father mentioning the virtues of Abu Ubaid al-Harabawi and his great knowledge of fiqh. And he said once that I was studying with him some issues of fiqh. We were reviewing or studying some issues of fiqh. And I answered him, or I gave him an answer to a particular issue one day, and he said to me, and he said to Imam al-Sahawi, ما هذا قول أبي حنيفة? That answer which you gave me is not the opinion of Abu Hanifa. That scholar was surprised at Imam al-Sahawi, that they were discussing some issues, and he asked him about a certain question, and he gave him an answer that wasn't the answer of the madhab, or the opinion of Abu Hanifa. So, Imam al-Sahawi said to him, أَيُّهَا الْقَاضِي أَوَقُلُّ مَا قَالَهُ أَبُو حَنِيفَ أَقُولُ بِهِ Do you expect that everything that Imam Abu Hanifa says, that I have to say the same? Then, he said to him, مَا ذَنَنْتُكَ إِلَّا مُقَلِّدٍ I didn't think that you were anything other than a muqallid. Yani I thought that you were only a follower of Abu Hanifa. You didn't hold any other opinion except his opinion. Then Imam Sahawi said to him, وَهَلْ يُقَلِّدْ إِلَّا عَصَبِي yani, Does anyone blindly follow someone else except yani, a blind follower, except a person who is yani, fanatical, who is blinded to looking at any other consideration and then he said back to Imam al-Sahawi, Al-Ghabi. Yani no one blindly follows except someone who is a fanatical follower or an ignorant person, a stupid person. 
This makes us to know, brothers and sisters, that it is important for us to study the books of the scholars, whether in fiqh or aqidah or otherwise, and to benefit from them as much as we can, but no matter if our madhab in fiqh is Maliki fiqh, or Hanbali fiqh, or Hanafi fiqh, or Shafi'i fiqh, or whatever it may be that we found in our countries, in our lands, our parents or our grandparents following, it doesn't mean that if we found a more correct opinion than their opinion based on evidence that we must follow their opinion. In fact, we should follow the evidence from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. This is what the scholars who followed the Imam, this is what they used to do. They used to study from that Imam, but if they found another opinion more correct, they would follow it. Imam al-Tahawi studied with many scholars and took knowledge from them and benefited from them and his uh, teachers were more than 300 and he used to يعني, adhere to and hold closely uh, in order to benefit from those scholars who were in Egypt as well as any, any scholars who came to Egypt from any place else from the other lands he was described by the scholars of his time and the later generations for example, Al-Imam Al-Zahabi says in his book Tariq Al-Tariq Al-Kabir he describes Al-Tahawi as Al-Faqih Al-Muhaddith Al-Hafiz Ahad Al-A'lam Wa kana thikatan Sabtan faqihan aqilan May Allah help us to uh, translate such words. The important thing is that he describes him in such words that we understand from it. He was really one of the great scholars of his time, specializing and excelling in the Islamic jurisprudence as well as in the knowledge of hadith. Uh, and he was one of the greatest scholars of his time, considered to be a very reliable narrator of hadith as well as a scholar of Islamic jurisprudence. Similarly, Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir rahimahullah said in Al-Bidayah wa Al-Nihayah huwa ahad al-thiqat al-athbat al-huffad al-jahabidha Ya'ani, the meaning is similar to what uh, Al-Zahabi said that he is one of the great scholars whose knowledge is confirmed and we ya'ani, uh, accept from him without question and he was one of the people who memorized the Sunnah and very well known for his knowledge. As for his books, he wrote so many books uh, that are very, very beneficial, and from amongst them is this very small book, Al Aqidah Al Tahawiyah. Also, of his great books is Ma'ani Al Athar, which is a book of hadith in which he mentions many of the researches or the issues concerning Islamic jurisprudence along with their accompanying evidences. He also mentioned in that book the issues of ikhtilaf or difference of opinion, mentioning the evidences for each opinion and discussing the differences between them and then mentioning what he thought to be the strongest opinion from amongst them. Even though he was a Hanafi scholar of fiqh, but he still was a mujtahid and he used to sometimes differ with the opinions of his madhab and 
tried to mention that opinion which was closer to being the correct. Uh, also, one of his other very, very important and great books is Mushkil Al-Athar. In that book, he mentions or he tries to uh, remove the confusion in reference to those reports which seem to be contradictory. And then he used to derive from them the rulings or the laws that come from those hadith. And Imam al-Tahawi died in the year 321 or the beginning of the 4th century of the Hijra calendar. On Thursday night in the month of Dhul Qa'dah, yani the 11th month of the lunar calendar, the Islamic calendar, he died in Egypt and he was buried in Al-Qarafa. As for this book, Al-Aqidah, Al-Tahawiyya, though it is small in size, only a few pages. Uh, it has been considered a basic text of Aqidah throughout the centuries. And it contains what a Muslim must know and believe in and comprehend of the Islamic Aqidah. There is consensus amongst the companions, the Sahaba, the Tabi'un, the successors, and the leading Islamic authorities, including Imam Abu Hanifa and his students Abu Yusuf and Muhammad, including Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmed, and others of the scholars. There is consensus almost completely on those points of Islamic Aqidah which are mentioned in this book. These matters of Aqidah are shared by the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah and they owe their origin or they are based upon the Qur'an and the authentic confirmed hadith of the Prophet wasallam, the undisputed sources of Islam. He also mentions in this book some arguments refuting the views of those sects that have deviated from the Sunnah. And these arguments are taken from the Qur'an and Sunnah. As regards those groups which are mentioned in his book, a study of Islamic history up to the time of Imam Tahawi would be helpful and useful. References to such groups as the Mu'tazila, the Jahmiya, Qadariya, Jabariya, and others are found in this book and some of those groups we mentioned previously in our first course of Islamic Aqidah when we did the book Usul Sunnah and inshallah when they come or when the mention of them comes in the book we will discuss something briefly about those groups and what are their beliefs. He also uh, mentions in brief or points to the incorrect and deviant views of the Shia and the Khawarij as well as the Sufis and others who have departed from the correct explaining what he has mentioned or summarized here uh, based on what the scholars of Islam have said concerning these matters and briefly mentioning some of the evidence the ayah of Qur'an or hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that supports what he has said here.
And inshallah, this will help us uh, to avoid falling into those deviations or incorrect beliefs that some of the people of the previous generations fell into uh, in order that we be protected from such. Al-Imam al-Tahawi begins his book after mentioning the name of Allah, Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. He says, هَذَا ذِكْرُ بَيَّانْ أَقِيلَةِ أَهْلِ سُنَّ وَالْجُمَاعَةِ عَلَى مَذْهَبِ فُقَهَاءَ الْمِلَّةِ أَبِي حَنِيفَةَ النُّعْمَانِ إِبْنِ ثَابِتَ الْقُوفِي وَأَبِي يُوسَفَ يَعْقُوبَ إِبْنِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ الْأَنْصَارِي وَأَبِي عَبْدِ اللَّهِ مُحَمَّدِ إِبْنِ الْحَسَنِ الشَّيْبَانِي رِضْوَانُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِمْ أَجْمَعِينَ وَمَا يَعْتَقِدُونَ مِنْ أُصُولِ الدِّينِ وَيَدِينُونَ بِهِ رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ after mentioning the name of Allah and praising Allah, the Lord of all the worlds, and Imam al-Tahawi, Abu Ja'fa al-Tahawi, rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him, says, this is a presentation or exposition or presentation of the belief of the Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah according to the school of the scholars of fiqh of this religion, Abu Hanifa and Nu'man ibn Thabit al-Kufi and his two students, Abu Yusuf, Ya'qub, the son of Ibrahim al-Ansari and Abu Abdullah, Muhammad, the son of al-Hasan al-Shaybani May Allah be pleased with them all This book contains what they believe regarding the usul of this deen the fundamentals of the deen of Allah and that faith or that which they profess concerning Allah, the Lord of the world. And inshallah, it is also the aqidah which is professed by the scholars of this ummah, whatever uh, part of the earth they may have been from. He says, نَقُولُ فِي تَوْحِيدِ اللَّهِ معتقدين بتوفيق الله إن الله واحد لا شريك له We say concerning the Tawheed of Allah the uniqueness of Allah We say concerning the Tawheed of Allah يعني the first point that he discussed is concerning التوحيد, the Tawheed of Allah before discussing anything else and this is the most important aspect of Al-Aqidah Al-Islamiyah and in fact uh, it requires a study in and of itself, a tawheed. And we seek help from Allah, and the success is really from Allah in what we want to say here. He said, Inna Allaha wahidun, Allah is one, la sharika lahu, and He has no partner or associate. Yaani, there's no one who shares in anything with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he says, وَلَا شَيْءَ مِثْلُهُ And there is nothing like him, like Allah. وَلَا شَيْءَ يُعْجِذُهُ And nothing can, nothing is outside of the reach or the control or the power of Allah. وَلَا إِلَهَ غَيْرُهُ And there is nothing that should be worshipped 
other than Allah, or nothing that has the right to be worshipped other than Allah. And inshallah tonight we will start with these few points, and uh, I think it will be sufficient. Here, as you can see, all that he has mentioned here is concerning a tawheed. The first point is that Allah is one and he has no partners. The second point, there is nothing like him or similar to him. The third point, that there is nothing outside of Allah's reach or outside of his control or power. And the last point is that there is nothing that should be worshipped except Allah alone. Uh, First, let us uh, take the brief summary. Now, this is the important thing. Whoever understands this brief summary, then the extra commentary is just more benefit. But the most important thing here in this brief commentary is uh, or the most important thing now is to understand this brief commentary. Uh, the Shaykh says here that verily Allah the Most High is one in everything. He is one in everything. The real meaning of one here, it means unique. The meaning of one is that He is unique. He is alone. There is nothing with Him in everything that is attributed to Him. He is one in his that. Yani Allah's being, his self. He is alone in this. There is no being, human, animal, plant, mineral or otherwise. There is nothing that exists whose being is like Allah's being. Allah in his that, he is unique. Allah's that is different than any of the zawat or the beings of anything in the creation. He is unique and alone in his actions. Whatever Allah does, his action of creating, giving life, causing death, providing, causing rain, whatever Allah does, he is unique and alone in his actions. He is alone in his asma and his sifat. In his name, he is unique and alone in his name. That Allah alone has the right to be called by the most perfect name, Ar-Rahman, the Beneficent, Al-Rahim, the Merciful, Al-Alim, the All-Knowing, Al-Qadir, the one who has power over everything, and so on. Allah alone has the right to these perfect names. And in His sifat or characteristics, Allah also is unique and alone. Allah has a face, as He said Himself, the wedge of Allah, but it's not like the face of anything else in creation. Human beings have a face, animals have a face, other things have a face, but the face of anything is different than the face of Allah. Allah is unique in His characteristics. His hands, His face, His descending to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night, His ascending above His throne in all of His actions and in His characteristics and His names, Allah is unique. And finally, Allah is alone and unique in His right to be worshipped. Allah alone has the right to be worshipped and no kind of worship of whatever type should be given or offered to anyone other than Allah. Allah has no partner, no one shares with Him in anything of that which has been just mentioned. 
There is no partner for him in his creation and his command that Allah has the right to command and whatever he commands it comes into being. As Allah says in the Quran in Surah Al-A'raf verse 54 Isn't it so that the khalq or creation and the amr, the command over everything that it is for Allah alone. Ala lahu. Yani isn't it for him alone? The creation and the command. And Allah also says in Surah Al-Fatir, verse 3, Hal min khaliq ghayrullah yarzikukum min as-sama'i wal-ard Is there any creator at all? Is there any creator other than Allah who gives you provisions or sustenance from the heavens and the earth? Allah is alone in this, in His act of creation and in His act of providing or sustaining everything that exists. Additionally, there is no one that shares in any way, to any degree whatsoever, with Allah in benefiting the people or in causing harm to anything in the creation. No one shares with Allah in the ability or the power to give benefit or to cause harm, to cause death or to give life or other than that. In all of those things that Allah does in His controlling and maintaining the whole of the universe. Also, he says that there is no one or nothing that shares with Allah in his name and his characteristics, his divine perfect characteristics or qualities. There is no partner or associate with him in his right to be worshipped or in his divinity. And the tawheed of any person, of any Muslim would never be complete perfect until that person is freed from every type of shirk that is associated in these things that we mention of Tawheed. The Muslim is expected to acknowledge, to declare and to live his life in accordance with that acknowledgement of the Lordship of Allah that He alone يعني, is unique in His actions of Lordship, of creation and providing and maintaining and giving life and death. And He alone is unique in His names and characteristics. And nothing in the creation should be described with that description which is the right of Allah alone. Nothing in the creation can be described with a description that is exclusively the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And nothing should be worshipped along with Him as Allah says in the Quran and we recite every day in our prayers إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ That you Allah alone are the one that we worship and you alone we seek help from. And as Allah said وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنْسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ And that I have not created jinn and men except that they should worship me alone. 
from this brief explanation of the aspects of a tawheed, the acknowledgement of the oneness of Allah, and this topic is a very broad topic, this is only a quick summary. But from it, we should know, number one, what is the meaning of the uniqueness, or as is commonly mentioned in the English books, the oneness of Allah. What is meant by this uniqueness or oneness of Allah? Number two, we should know what are the three types of a tawheed that we have mentioned here. And also from that, which, what is derived from the three aspects of tawheed, we should know what are the three types of shirk. Yani shirk in the rububiyya, uh, associating something with Allah and His Lordship, or shirk in uluhiyya, giving something the rights of worship that belongs to Allah alone, or shirk in al-asma wa sifat describing or qualifying or naming someone or something in the creation with that which belongs to Allah alone. And finally, uh, also it is important to know that saying or that word which all of the prophets call to Ya'ani, the word that one enters Islam by it, the word of Tawheed, La ilaha illallah, it is important to know this word and its meaning. It is the most important thing that all of the prophets and messengers call their people to. This is the summary of the first few points of uh, the first section of Al-Aqidah, and I would just like to make some quick reference to the commentary uh, of Shaykh Abdulaziz Ibn Baz, Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him. And he said in his commentary concerning this very point, as we have already discussed it, that uh, the Tawheed of Allah, he said everyone must know that the Tawheed which Allah sent all the prophets with and which He revealed in the revelations to all of the messengers is divided into three and this division is based on that which the scholars derive from the text of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and some scholars in their own fashion trying to simplify the explanation of Tawheed sometimes divided it into two categories and some even divided into four categories. In any case, it all boils down to the same thing. It is the acknowledgement or the confirmation or confession of the uniqueness of Allah in all of these aspects. And then he mentions Al-Tawheed Al-Rububiyya, Al-Tawheed Al-Ibadah or Al-Uluhiyya. This Tawheed and Ibadah, it is the same as Uluhiyya, the Tawheed related to worship, that it belongs to Allah alone. And then he mentioned the Tawheed or Tawheed al-Asma wa sifat uh, And here in the Tawheed al-Asma wa sifat I would like to uh, mention uh, some of what he said due to the importance of this particular aspect of Tawheed. Uh, perhaps it is the aspect of Tawheed that is least known to Muslims throughout the world in the Arab world as well as in the non-Arab world. 
and uh, it is a complete study but here he summarizes some of the important points related to it he said this third division of a Tawheed, Tawheed al-Asma al-Sifat it is to have faith in everything which has been narrated or reported to us in the book of Allah and the authentic sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa concerning the names of Allah and the characteristics of Allah to have faith in all of what has come to us in the Quran and Sunnah to affirm all of what Allah has affirmed for himself in the way that is appropriate and suitable and proper and fitting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without changing any of its meaning, distorting its meaning or nullifying its meaning or trying to explain the how of it by some logical or rational way or by trying to compare any of those characteristics of Allah to anything in the creation yani these four things are very important in Tawheed of the names of Allah and His characteristics that we must affirm whatever came in the Quran and Sunnah without making any change or distortion to its meaning without nullifying any of their meanings without trying to explain the how of it or without comparing those names or characteristics that have been affirmed by Allah and His Prophet to anything in the creation then he mentions as the proof of this the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Shura verse 11 لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٌ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعَ الْبَصِيرُ Allah says about Himself that there is nothing like Him and He is a Samir, the one who hears everything, the all-hearing, the one who has perfect hearing and Al-Basir, the one who has perfect seeing, who sees everything uh, there is nothing like Him, Allah negates anything being similar to him and at the same time he affirms that he does have names and characteristics he affirms for himself the name al-Samir and the name al-Baqir these are names that belong to Allah and their meanings are also ascribed to Allah that Allah does hear and he does see his hearing and his seeing is perfect not like the hearing or the seeing of anything in the creation and Allah also says in Surah Al-A'raf verse 180 وَلِلَّهِ al husna فَدَعُوهُ بِهَا That the good and perfect names, they all belong to Allah. So call on Him or supplicate Him by these names. And also the saying of Allah in Surah Al-Nahl, verse 60, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزِ الْحَكِيمِ المثل الأعلى, the most perfect description the most perfect description it belongs to Allah and He is Al-Aziz, the Mighty, Al-Hakim, the Wise so here again Allah affirms for Himself these names and these characteristics and that the most perfect or the highest description it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and these ayats, there are many other ayats similar to them uh, too many to mention And this is the position of the Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah, first from amongst the companions of the Prophet and whoever followed them in their way, that they used to accept the verses of Quran 
that describe Allah, that give descriptions of Allah, and the ahadith of the Prophet that describe Allah, they used to affirm them just as they are, including affirming their meanings. Uh, and this affirmation, affirming these characteristics for Allah while at the same time denying that there is any similarity between that which is affirmed for Allah and that which is affirmed for anything in the creation. If we say that Allah is seeing and human beings also see, we affirm that Allah sees while denying that there is any similarity between Allah's sight and the sight of human beings. And at the same time, uh, we negate from Allah all of what Allah has negated for Himself without negating anything which Allah has confirmed for Himself. And these ayat and hadith which the Prophet has left for us to understand this matter are a proof for us and against those who contradict the belief and the way of the companions of the Prophet. Also, there is a comment, and perhaps there is some repetition here, but I hope that Allah will give us patience to bear this repetition due to the importance of this topic. Whoever understands it, then they have really benefited. Some of the scholars said that this matter of Tawheed especially and Aqeedah in general is very important due to the fact that it determines who is a Muslim and who is not a Muslim. Who is a believer and who is a disbeliever. A true believer from a hypocrite. And these words, Muslim and Kafir, Mu'min and Kafir, Believer and disbeliever. Mu'min and munafiq. The believer and the hypocrite. These words are very important words and very dangerous words. And it is based on the reality of these descriptions fitting someone. The one who truly can be described as a mu'min or as a Muslim. It is due to this description that he may be allowed by Allah's mercy and his bounty to enter paradise. And the one who finds that description being applicable to him in reality, kafir or munafiq, it is because of this description that that person would deserve to be punished by Allah and to enter the hellfire. So this study of al-aqidah and particularly al-tawheed, particularly al-tawheed, the, the knowledge of, the, uh, of Allah and his rights, and his characteristics, knowing this is what helps us to protect ourselves from falling into kufr or into disbelief or into shirk and therefore uh, helping us to be in a position to earn Allah's mercy and his bounty and his reward, the paradise. So this topic is of the utmost importance and uh, it requires more time than we are given to it uh, but in any case, we will go on, inshallah, in the next lecture to the next topic. But let me just mention here some of the comments of Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin Al-Albani, Hafizahullah.
concerning this statement of Al-Imam Al-Sahawi, Inna Allah wahidun la sharika lah. The Shaykh says that la sharika lahu, that he has no partners, the negation of any partner for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that negation is not complete except that we apply that negation to all of the three types of shirk. Yani negating any partner to Allah means negation of any partner for Allah in all three aspects of a shirk. If anyone falls into any one of them, then he has ascribed a partner to Allah. If he describes anyone with a description that belongs to Allah, with a name that belongs to Allah, with an action that exclusively belongs to Allah, that someone has knowledge of the unseen, or someone can give life to the dead, or someone is entitled that we should supplicate them or sacrifice to them, doing an act of worship to other than Allah. In any one of these areas, whoever falls into it, then they have not truly negated the partnership from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have to look at all three of these, and we have to make sure that we negate any partner to Allah in all three of these categories. And the first of them, ashirk al-rububiyya, the associating or ascribing or giving any right to anything in the creation from those things that belong to Allah alone in al-rububiyya. And this means that we should believe, uh, or we should not believe that there is any creator other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the belief that there is a creator other than Allah actually existed in the previous nations, the Majus or the Magians. They used to say that there is a creator of good, that is Allah, and there is a creator of evil. So that they believed there is a creator other than Allah. We should be careful that we don't become confused in our attempt not to ascribe to Allah something, then we fall into what they fell into. We don't want to ascribe evil to Allah, so we say then there is another creator who created evil. Then we have now given that characteristic of rububiyyah, of creation, to something or someone other than Allah, and we have then fallen into shirk in this aspect uh, of our rububiyyah. This type of shirk, of ascribing a creator, or ascribing the act of creation to other than Allah, is very rare in the Muslim Ummah. Even though such a belief, or close to that belief, is the belief held by the Mu'tazila. They said, for example, in their belief, they held that evil is created by the human being who does it. They didn't ascribe it to another creator, but they didn't ascribe it to Allah. They said the human being creates his own action when he does evil. So this idea is similar to the idea of the Majus, and it is very close uh, to their belief in ascribing creation to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is uh, affirmed in the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when he said, Al-Qadariyah Majus hadihi al-Ummah. That the Qadariyah, that they are the Majus or the Magians of this Ummah. In that they held the belief that when a human being does evil, this is not from Allah, this is the creation of that human being. And this hadith is sahih. 
It is mentioned by Shaykh al-Albani in Sahih al-Jami al-Saghir Hadith number 43.18 or Hadith number 44.42 The second category of ashirk is in al-Uluhiyya or Ubudiyya in acts of worship and that is to worship anything other than Allah whether it is the worship of prophets or the righteous or seeking help from them calling on them in time of need or otherwise and unfortunately this is very common and widespread in the Muslim Ummah today. The third type of shirk that we should avoid is in the sifat of Allah, the characteristics of Allah, and that is to describe anything in the creation with any characteristic that is exclusively belonging to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as such as to say that someone has knowledge of the unseen. And this is widespread, especially amongst the Sufiyah, or the people who follow the Sufi tarifas. Okay, inshallah, there is a few minutes remaining from our lecture. We will just listen to the adhan and then proceed for perhaps five minutes and then we will conclude. Bismillah. In concluding uh, this last aspect of shirk that we should avoid, uh, we said avoiding shirk in the uh, sifat of Allah or the characteristics or qualities of Allah, and uh, the example that Shaykh al-Albani mentions here is some people who believe or who ascribe to others or to themselves knowledge of the unseen and this is something he said is widespread in the Muslim Ummah today and particularly amongst the people who follow the Sufi ways uh, some of them claim that their Shaykh or their leader has knowledge of the unseen or has some way to know that which is unseen and some of them even uh, they ascribed to the Prophet ﷺ in their attempt to praise him. They ascribed to him uh, the characteristic of having knowledge of the unseen. And from this, some of those uh, criminals who deceived the Muslims and took advantage of the ignorance of the Muslims, uh, some of them, since they claimed that the Prophet ﷺ has knowledge of the unseen, then some of them claimed that they saw the Prophet ﷺ in this day and time. After his passing from this world, they saw him. Some of them even in the state of awakeness, while they are awake. And I remember one Sufi leader from West Africa who used to come to America. He is the leader of the Tijaniya Tariqah. And I met some of his followers. And I remember once after we used to have discussions over and over and over again they said when the shaykh comes you will talk to him directly so they invited me to their house when he came and I heard from my own ears this man claiming that his grandfather who was the founder of the Tijaniya Tariqah he said that his grandfather saw the Prophet ﷺ in a state of awakeness while he was awake not sleeping in a dream he saw him